Greek, uh, first of all, it's, it's when, the, when the lights come on, the priests come out at night. So, you know, when they come on, it's time to shine. You're listening to the From the Pink Seats podcast. Powered by the State of Louisville Network. All right, Matt, it's that time. Let's talk a little bit more Louisville football depth chart. Up to this point, we have taken uh, good looks at the quarterback, running back, wide receiver, tight end positions. Today, we are going to look at the trenches, at the offensive line and the defensive line. Uh, Matt, you know better than anybody that Scott Satterfield has been uh, kind of braggadocious on these two units the last couple of weeks. He absolutely has. Of course, it's nice to always talk about the offensive skill position guys, considering how good they've been over the last two seasons. But the the, the big uglies in the trenches, they're, they're not too shabby themselves, too, especially on the offensive side of things. It's it, it feels like, you know, for the first time and I don't know how long I guess we'll just say Scott Satterfield's tenure here, which I think he said this almost word for word. Uh, this is the deepest they've been. This is the most talented they've been. Like, that's not a secret. They have guys who can play on on both the offensive line and the defensive line. And those have been two areas that have been pretty critical um, to Louisville's, uh, you know, struggles, I guess. Is that fair to say, Matt, over the last two years? Yeah, it, it, it's certainly one factor of it. Is it the end-all, be-all factors to some of their struggles? No, of course not. But it certainly plays a significant role. Absolutely. And and one thing I've noticed, uh, especially 2019, not so much last year, because you really played more ACC games than you did out of conference. There's been a lot of times, Matt, where Louisville has just been oversized. Like they, you go up against a team like Kentucky, a Mississippi State. I know they ended up winning that game against Mississippi State, but you're going up against teams that are 300 pounds across both lines, play with just this next level of, of, of power and dominance. And Louisville has really succumbed to that in a lot of different ways. Yeah, I mean, you can have all the the weapons both on offense and defense as you want, but if you don't have the protection or the attack in the trenches on the line of scrimmage, you're not going to be able to get much done. On offense, you're not going to be able to actually carry out the offense you want to get those offensive weapons the space that they need to actually make plays. And on defense, you're going to leave the, the linebackers and the secondary hanging out to dry way too long, and they're going to the holes are going to get poked in that defense. So that, that's something that's kind of been Louisville's bugaboo the last couple seasons. Now that that's obviously not all of this coaching staff's fault, considering the previous administration. I mean, we've talked, we've touched upon this before. did a horrendous job with recruiting in term recruiting the offensive and defensive line, but heading into year three under Satterfield, th- things are starting to look, starting to look really, really positive on both sides of the line. They absolutely are. Let's start first with the offensive line, and let's just kind of look at some of the big storylines from the offseason. It's been a really interesting offseason and how we've gotten to the point where we do, where you have uh, five returning starters on the offensive line. Cole Bentley returns, uh, chose to become that, what do they call them, super seniors with that sixth season. Uh, Former starter right guard Robbie Bell decides to retire after dealing with knee injuries the last couple of seasons. Uh, That, in turn, leads to the staff moving Adonis Boone from left tackle, where he started almost every game last season, and maybe even every game last season at left tackle. Moves him to right guard. Every game at left tackle, filled in uh, really good for Mekhi Becton there. Uh, But they move him to right guard, where he'll play next to Renato Brown at right tackle. So Adonis Boone, again, they're – guard brian hudson transfers in from virginia tech he's a kentucky native played two seasons at virginia tech uh in and out of the starting lineup he's a guy that brings a ton of offensive line versatility in terms of position uh, and then just a couple of other notable things here michael gonzalez three-star freshman enrolls and has been on campus since january uh and when uh, the the new depth chart just released a couple of days before we we're recording this uh by louisville the media guide michael gonzalez has made the 
too deep, uh, at least for the time being. So just something to note there. Um, and then you have a couple of other players leave. And, and, and here we are, five players returning to an offensive line that gave up 30 sacks last season, uh, 98th nationally, uh, over two and a half a game. They were um, – they were quite uh, – I, I really can't even think of the word to describe them, Matt, because there was sometimes when they were really good, but then they were really bad in a lot of other areas. Wouldn't you agree? Yeah, and I think the best way to describe it is that they had good individual pieces, but they failed to cohesively perform as a unit because you've had Cole Bentley, one of the top centers in the ACC. I mean, he he was on the uh, the watch list halfway through the season for the Remington, and he ended up making the Remington preseason watch list for this upcoming season. Caleb, Cham- Caleb Chandler at some point was mentioned as one of the top guards in the ACC. And you've had Bo- Boone, he had his moments, and so did Ronaldo Brown, but they had you know, overall, I would say solid play, but it seems like collectively when you put them all on the field, it, something just didn't translate. I, I, it's, it's kind of hard to describe like why or even how this could happen, considering you have like guys who are you, you would classify as above average. But I, I think a large part of it is like like we touched upon earlier is that it seemed, they didn't have a lot of collective overall size, which is hurt Louisville severely over the last several years and I'd, I'd have to do some digging to find the last time this happened but it this it seems for the first time at least since probably what the Charlie Strong area that Louisville is bound to have every single starting member of their offensive line weigh at least 300 pounds and and that means a lot especially if you want to be taken seriously as an up-and-coming uh, player in the power five and maybe have aspirations to win conference championship. You're absolutely right, and that's going to really help them in the run game, especially because they get more athletic, I think, overall, bringing in Trevor Reed, um, who is projected as the starting left tackle. And we'll get into here in a second, uh, Matt, what we see on the offensive line compared to what's been released. Obviously, that is not the the, uh, end-all, be-all depth chart. That is just strictly a media guide depth chart. But we can at least kind of cross-reference our notes, compare it to what UofL is saying at this point in time. But um, Louisville will get better being able to run the football. They're going to have more of a power look on the offense this year with Jalen. Mitchell um, being a bigger guy and I think that you see uh, the staff really prioritizing wanting to be able to move the 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 chains because of that size and being able to utilize that size but you can't sacrifice those uh, you know place of being able to go left to right on those jet sweeps um, and those outside runs which are so crucial to Louisville's offense so you still retain that athleticism by moving an Adonis Boone inside into right guard where quite frankly they struggled last year Cam DeGeorge was a nice filler piece uh, but they really struggled on that side of the football um, especially in the run game I'm actually excited to see how left tucker kind of shakes out because we we've been hearing about the Trevor Reed hype for about what a year or so now. And with, he's a big bodied guy, six, five, 303 pounds. And he's as athletic as, as anyone on the team. I mean, I think it was this past summer or somewhat recently that there was a video on social media of him doing a backflip. And whenever you're that massive and that nimble and that agile, you, you're, you're, I, you, there's a little bit of hype that goes with you. So I'm interested to see how that translates to the gridiron. Michael Gonzalez right behind him. Obviously he's a high quality freshman. I think he was voted as the top newcomer or something along that lines earlier this off season. So it's exciting to see him guard guard play should both left and right guard, or just the interior of the offensive line in general should be improved. You've got Cole Bailey returning, Caleb Chandler returning, Adonis Boone. I'm interested, interested to see, how that transition from tackle to inside guard 
kind of works out, but considering how much weight he's put on, he's now 317. I mean, all these guys are 310 plus. Caleb Chandler's 313. Cole Bentley's 315. Boone is 317. These are all massive dudes that should plug up the holes in the middle. Plus, Brian Hudson, who Scott Satterfield said if he could very well be a starter, he's 310. Luke Kandra, who's been seldomly used, I think, in his first year or two, now he's 309. He's approaching that 310 mark. And I guess he's one of the guys that Louisville thinks should be one of the eight and nine people who could see regular playing time. So, I think with the offensive line, yes, they've struggled over the middle of the last couple of seasons, but I think I don't want to go so far as to say their strength in the middle of the offensive, their offensive middle of the offensive line could be a strength, but I know it's going to be much improved than it has been in years past. And I don't want to say I'm concerned with right tackle, but Renato Brown did have a lot of freshman moments, so to speak. Uh, last season, not just exclusively due to his play. Like there were a couple one or two times last season where just pre, uh, post snap uh, penalties and whatnot. Cause I know, I think in that Georgia tech game, cause I was there, I think, was that the game that Brown threw someone's shoe and caused a 15 yard on sportsmanlike penalty? I couldn't tell you what game it was, but I do remember there was a game or two when Brown had multiple 15 yard uh, penalties for, for doing something after the play, whether it was pushing somebody, throwing a shoe, doing just crazy things. And I can remember um, quite, I, I think it might've been that Georgia tech game, but I've never seen Scott Satterfield mad and he was pissed off. Like, because they, oh, it was yeah. two plays on one drive, it's 30 yards that, that Renato Brown cost them by doing just some really stupid stuff. But yes, Matt, to your point, I, I don't know the game, but I do remember that being an issue for him. Yeah. So I, I, I think in terms of actual game, I'm not concerned with right tackle. Uh, but as far as maturity goes i'd like to i can't i hope to see that Ronaldo brown has made some improvement i can't imagine that he hasn't and plus out of all of the backups on the uh the depth chart so far in the two deep i think the most concerned yet to be is with des daniels just because there he hasn't had a ton of experience now neither is michael gonzalez or luke Kandra, but he he's not been the name that's been floating around the most when talking about the offensive line yeah yeah absolutely okay so just to kind of touch base here on the actual depth chart of what it looks like. So you've got your, your five starters, which I think we can all agree are pretty much kind of they're firmly in their spots, but you've got a left tackle, Trevor Reed, left guard, Caleb Chandler, center, Cole Bentley, right guard, Adonis Boone, and your right tackle is Renato Brown. Right. So we're pretty much mm-hmm. across the board. We all see that. Um, I agree with you right there. I'm right on those five. I think those are the five. Here's where I think, I think things get interesting. You talk about the right, the right tackle. I'm interested to see how Adonis Boone transitions from playing an outside position to going inside. You talk about his weight gain, which is really impressive. If you consider the fact that when he came on campus, Matt, he was listed as an offensive line slash tight end. And he, uh, I don't know how many snaps he actually played at tight end that first year in 2018, but I do remember him being a guy who was like 270 when he came in 265, um, and had position versatility there. And so now you're talking about 317, absolutely unreal. Uh, but I'm watching Brian Hudson. You, you mentioned him, Scott Satterfield talked about him being their sixth starter. I would not be shocked to see Brian Hudson eventually move into that right guard role full time. Uh, I thought maybe for a while he would take over the center spot. Cole Bentley comes back. I don't think Bentley comes back if he's not starting. That seems silly at this point. But uh, I think the other spots on the offensive line are all pretty much firmly locked in. Um, I just think that Adonis Boone is the biggest question mark because we just don't know, right? I mean, I know that's kind of silly to say, but he's never played this position. You don't know how he's going to transition, and there's really some able guys behind him. The other thing I want to call out here about the depth chart, Matt, tell me if you 
if this caught your attention or if it's even kind of um, just kind of flown by, but I'm interested that guys like Kobe Baines and Tim Lawson, those were two of the really highly rated recruits that Louisville pulled in in that 2020 class. If I'm not mistaken, those guys aren't on this too deep either. Um, so you're talking no, I'm about looking Michael, at the two deep now and they're not on there. So you're talking about a guy in Michael Gonzalez who, yeah, he enrolled in January, but he's already moved into that, that potentially moved into that or in that conversation for the second um, offensive tackle, which is great, right? He's a freshman. That's awesome. Anytime mm-hmm. these guys can be in those positions early on, that's really cool. Uh, but you're talking about him being potentially your, your number one backup instead of two guys who, you know, I know that again, one of them plays guard, one is more of a tackle, but can play inside. Um, and these were guys that had offers from Florida States and Miami's and the, the big power five schools that you talk about all the time. Uh, so it's interesting to not see them on the on the depth chart, but at the same time, there is an appearance from guys like Joshua Black, who we haven't seen play much, and uh, people behind the scenes have been excited about for a long time because he can play multiple positions. Uh, so it's just these young guys, you know, it's interesting, the ones that you wouldn't think are on the depth chart are there, and the ones that you would kind of expect to be um, popping at this point aren't there. I think it's more of an indictment of the guys that are on there right now because Michael Gonzalez has been one of the guys who Satterfield and the rest of the staff has talked about the most over the last several months. And he's mentioned Luke Kandra a couple times about the leap that he has made. Brian Hudson, obviously he has starting experience down at Virginia tech and Josh black is another guy who has kind of made some strides as of late. So I, I don't think that's really an indictment on Tim Lawson and Kobe Baines. I think that just shows how much of an effort and how much of, leaps and jumps in their respective games that, you know, Gonzalez, Kandra, Hudson, Black, all those guys have made in this time. And here's the other thing. We've gone all this way through the offensive line conversation, Matt, and we haven't even mentioned the fact that the offensive line coach from the last two years, Dwayne Leffert, has <laughs> departed for uh, the NFL to coach for the the, yeah. the offensive line for the Atlanta Falcons. Um, and that he's replaced by a guy who is a, a longtime coaching veteran. His father is, you know, considered a, a great coach in uh, NFL and college football coaching ranks. Jack Bicknell Jr. Um, hired after being at uh, Ole Miss and Auburn the last couple of years. And he brings experience, um, but he brings with him, you know, a different I don't want to say maybe a different style of, of coaching, but he's definitely not in that same mold as a as a younger uh, Ledford. And, and we've seen the last couple of years, how Dwayne Ledford has been this, you know, kind of larger than life figure in the offense because of, you know, his personality, the band of brothers. And um, I, I think that we've kind of glossed over that the offensive line really hasn't been that good. Um, they've had moments 2019 that had Mackay Becton, Tyler Haycraft, who played in the NFL, uh, but they've not been that good. And so now Jack Bicknell kind of comes in and gets to be the hero. Yeah. And, and he's someone I'm on the coaching staff out of all the additions they made. He's something that I'm particularly excited about because not only does he, is he come coming from Auburn and Ole Miss uh, his last two stops, but he's got, what was it? 25, 30 years of experience in both college and the NFL ranks. This, and especially as of late, coming from the SEC. And the only reason that he's not still at Auburn right now is because Gus Malzahn got fired. If Malzahn is still there, Vic Nell is probably still there as well. So we're essentially getting an, an SEC caliber offensive line coach, which if, if you're going to get someone who coaches the hog mollies up front, you want someone from the SEC doing it. So Louisville kind of got lucky there that Auburn decided to part ways from Malzahn. Okay, let's finish uh, the offensive line conversation with a couple of predictions. We've done this on the other positions. In your opinion, 
who is when we're talking at the end of the season, whether Louisville is eight and four or five and seven, I really don't care the record, but who is the guy that everyone is talking about being kind of like the leader of the best offensive lineman? Oh, Lord. Um, the, the, okay. I'll go first. Cause I, I have my answer. I think the easy answer most people are going to be, are going to say is Trevor Reed just because he's new to the offensive line. The, the backflip video gave him this, like <laughs> this level of hype. Um, and there's just been so much excitement about him. Like guys like Jalen Mitchell and Tyler uh, Harrell, like Trevor Reed has been just as mentioned and talked about with praise this off season. I think he's the easy answer, but for me, it's Caleb Chandler. Caleb Chandler was a guy that last year I predicted to be one of the top five most important players for Louisville football. He had a good season, not a great season. He's back. Um, he's a multi-year starter, but he uh, has been one of the most consistent players on the offensive line the entire time he's here. Uh, and I know Cole Bentley has technically been in the lineup longer than him, but I, I just envision Caleb Chandler kind of being the leader of, of the pack here and a guy who, when you when you evaluate the film and you watch, you're just like, man, he is nasty. He is the reason why Louisville was was able to improve their third down success rate by this much and this much. Like I, That's how much confidence I have that he's going to be the best lineman for Louisville this year. I'm I'm going to go with a little bit of a, a wild card. I don't know if he's going to be quote unquote, the best offensive lineman for Louisville by season's end, but I do think he's going to be arguably the most important. And I'm going to go with Brian Hudson. That is mainly because as the season goes on, injuries are going to start mounting. Players are going to get dinged up. I I mean, every player on a football team needs rest as as the season go on, but those big guys, they, they take all the they take all the punishment. They take all the the hurting. So they're they're going to need uh, some of their backups or six man whoever that designated is. And I think it's Brian Hudson. They're going to have to need him to come in and perform at a high level. And based on what we've seen in the past, I mean he's he's made a all ACC postseason by Pro Football Focus, if I remember correctly, when he was a freshman at, at uh, Virginia Tech, and that was at guard. And now he's listed on the 2D as a backup at center. And the versatility that he brings uh, within the interior of the offensive line, I mean, yeah, Chandler's good, Bentley's good, Boone, Boone has, has been good at, at tackle, but those guys are going to need to take some reps off. They can't play all 70, 80, 90 reps of game, especially in some of these barn burner games in the beginning of the season against Ole Miss and UCF. They're going to have to come out eventually. And I think one of the more important guys is going to be Brian Hudson because d- during those times that those three interior offensive linemen are going to be out, they're, they're still going to need stellar offensive line play. And I think Hudson is probably going to be the X factor on the line as to how good this offensive line is, is going to be by season's end. I like it. And that's a great transition into the next question, which I'm going to make you pick a different answer here because that would, <laughs> that would be your answer is Brian Hudson. Um, but the question would be who it, it, that's currently a reserve, whether it be on the Louisville too deep or our own fiction two deeps here. Um, who is the guy that goes from reserve to potential starter by seasons? And Brian Hudson, I think is the easy answer, just considering you don't go out and get a guy who's been a two-year starter at another ACC school for him to ride your bench. Um, yeah, you know, even if it's in a swing position here, uh, again, I talked about the right guard position earlier with Adonis Boone center is another one. I know Cole Bentley is a super senior. He's been here for five years, but Matt, we can both agree. He has struggled on several occasions over the last few years. And uh, if they didn't, if they had a better option behind him, I think that potentially things would have gone differently, but it was, it never worked out that way. He was able to kind of play through his struggles. Uh, I could see him being a guy who potentially is replaced maybe, um, you know, Adonis Boone or, or even Renato Brown. I could see anybody on that right side of the line being replaced by Brian Hudson. Um, if it's not 
Hudson, Matt, who is the potential backup that you see him being a starter by season's end? I would probably say Michael Gonzalez, because even though he's listed as the backup left tackle, obviously he's got experience at tackle. Not sure how much of a transition that would be to right. But if I remember correctly, he played some guard in high school. And so if, if Satterfield and, and company are already giving his praises and we haven't even reached the season yet, he was he was one of those early enrollees who's made huge leaps and bounds during his time on campus so far. So I wouldn't put it outside of the realm of possibility that he continues on this this arc and that if, say, Boone or Brown starts to struggle a little bit, that he could maybe leap into that starting role on the other side of the line. All right, let's uh, transition now to the defensive line. Uh, again, just like the offensive line, Matt, the, the coaching staff has been extremely positive, which when that, when when are they not positive? Let, let's get that out there. They're <laughs> right. a positive group. They're naturally talking about positivity all the time, whatever. But the defensive line, um, not a great performance last year by any means. We've talked a lot about uh, Jared Goldwire and Desmond Tell and a lot of the guys that got forced into action last year because of injuries and COVID. Uh, and quite frankly, it was just a disappointing season for them as a unit. Um, overall, Matt, how would you grade the defensive line play in 2020? Uh, man, how many, how much time do we have here? But uh, how, how do I go about this? I, there is optimism. There's plenty of potential, but it was, they didn't utilize it. I, I know that doesn't exactly answer your question, but too often the defensive line just got bullied it seemed like it seemed like they weren't generating the pressure that they needed to, but, and it was really magnetized on in passing situations. And we've talked about it in a previous episode, how, whenever, you know, the defense was in a standard down, like a first and 10, second and seven, third and three, yada, yada, yada. They were actually, you know, pretty good in terms of like sack rate. They were, I think third in, in the league behind only Clemson and Pitt. But the second you get in a down, that's a clear passing situation they're they're awful they're just putrid so something that the defensive line absolutely needed to do is generate more pressure and specifically more pass rush and heading into 2021 i i think they've done a a good job at addressing some of these needs but this is one of those situations where i I need them to show me that they've made strides instead of just telling me absolutely okay so the storylines the movement that's taking place over the offseason jared goldwire declares for the nfl draft decides not to come back for another season i think he could have benefited from another year but injuries uh being a, as a juco player and playing you know those that long elongated career uh, makes sense why he'd go pro Tiberius peterson and Derek dorsey two veteran redshirt seniors return for six years so you at least get two guys who have been here for a long time back you lose thurman gaithers to transfer uh transfers out to arkansas state i know that doesn't sound like that a big deal uh, but I was on the train of he was one of our best pass rushers from the second he touched the field last year and yeah, just Thurman Gathers really, Thurman Gathers could have been an x-factor so losing I, him was a bigger deal than what people ended up making out to be exactly exactly thank you all right I'm not as crazy as I sound writing that out like yeah the, the guy that transferred to Arkansas State is really could have been a big <laughs> impact player I'm, I, that's a take that would make a lot of people laugh but um, so they lose him and they do bring back a ton of experience they they bring back uh, just about everybody on the the front three from last year and the in the uh, top two parts of the depth chart uh, and they add uh, you call him Jacques I've said Jaquez I think we need some clarity on whether or not it's French or if it's a, got an American pronunciation I'll just call him JT. 
let's i'm gonna go towards your jock because it's it's very fancy and it's just not what i would expect from you i would have totally expected you to go on the jaquez train but we're gonna go with jock turner the transfer out of southern miss uh who was at one point a all um Conference USA freshman of the year made the first team um, all defense. And I think that was 2019 sat out 2020 due to injury slash COVID, uh, but transfers into Louisville as a redshirt senior. And Matt, we talked about it early in the off season. We didn't think that the nose tackle starter was on the roster. Now Turner comes in, he'll compete with multiple guys. Uh, let me ask you this, Matt, who are your front three starters? So your two defensive ends and this three, four scheme, who is your, your two different defensive ends and then your nose tackle. So, I mean, I'm, I know I'm looking at the two deep now, but what I would have done, I, I'm and I'm sure a lot of people would have, but I would have had Tiberius Peterson and Yaya Diaby starting at the end. And nose tackle, it's still, uh, obviously, because we can't really watch pre, uh, practice during the offseason because it's still been barred. So it, we have don't really have as much insight as normal, but until proven otherwise, I probably would have gone with Malik Clark just because he has the most experience. But I think who would have given him the most the most direct competition would have been Jacques Turner because he's the most experienced. He has the most experience and he's an all conference type of player. Yeah, absolutely. I, I think from the the front three, I, did you mention Yaya Diaby? Did I, did I completely space out there when you said his name? You did space out. Okay, I did space out. Okay, <laughs> so you mentioned Yaya, who was you know expected to be a dominant performer year one. I know he dealt with injury. The COVID year made things really challenging for new players. So you didn't get the production out of him, but I agree. I think he's going to be an extremely talented player. We'll start from day one this season. Uh, The Malik Clark uh, does tell Jock Turner thing is interesting because um, Malik Clark is the veteran there, but he's only what a redshirt sophomore, I believe redshirt Redshirt junior. junior. He's barely played behind Gigi Robinson and uh, Jared Goldwire. And then Des tell sat out most of spring practice, if not all of spring practice due to an injury. So, um, he was really, really promising last year. He got on the field in multiple, uh, scenarios, but just didn't get the experience in spring this year. I think he could have potentially been a starter had he not been hurt. So there it's really a toss up. And I could see it being like, this is just such a Satterfield thing to do when the depth charters were least it being like Jock Turner or Malik Clark or Des Tell. No, none of those guys being distinctively the starter. Um, but I personally would go with Turner. He's a proven guy. I know he's not been here. So, you know, it looks like on the two deep, what they did is they just put the guys who are new, who would normally be on there, just at the bottom, right? We saw the same thing with Quinterio Cole, which we'll get into when we talk about the secondary. But um, I like this nose tackle position. I've been convinced by Keith Wynn, our good friend, that Des Tell is going to be a big part of this defensive line, that he's going to be really talented. Uh, Well, we know he's talented, but he's going to be really productive. And that Clark is going to be much better than what we've seen. In the NBA, college basketball, there's those per 40 stats where, uh, you know, a player might only play three or four minutes a game. Uh, maybe five, six minutes. And those per 40 stats kind of tell the story of what their production would be like with more time on the court. I think Malik Clark is a perfect example of that on the football side because he's just not played much, but when he has, he's been, he's been a really good, you know, rusher, a guy who can bull rush. Um, He's, you know, He's 295, so he kind of fits that where they're trying to be on the athletic but still big side of nose tackle. So there's a lot to like there. And then at right end, I don't know the distinction in this defense of what makes what, you know, who's a right end versus who's a left end or who, you know, whether they just float those guys. Um, but I would have Yaya Diaby on one edge, and then I would have Ashton Gelati on the other edge. I know that Tiberius Peterson is a six-year guy. Uh, you've got Derek Dorsey. Ramon Purier is a, is a player that they really like. Uh, 
Eastern High School grad. What's up, Eastern High School? Stand up. We're in the building. <laughs> um, shout, first of all, shout out to Joey Hecht. I got to throw this out there. Joey Hecht was the winner of our bourbon barrel. And when I went to drop that off to him, we discovered we went to high school together. So another Eastern Eagle oh, wow. to the podcast. Yeah, it's, it's how it goes in Louisville, baby. But uh, Ramon Purier is a guy. I just don't think he's a starter. I think he's a rotational guy. Uh, so I would have Yaya and Ashton out there, but I just don't, I don't see them throwing Ashton into the fire like that from day one. But point being, um, I think that other spot is Gelati's to have down the road, but to start, I'd rather have, you know, like a guy like Zach Edwards. I don't know. I think the, the ceiling is higher for somebody like that, but it'll probably be Purier or Peterson just because they're, they're, you know, they're, they're good, solid players who aren't going to do anything bad for you, but they just may not make the big, big play. Yeah. I, I, looking at the two deep when it was released earlier last week on arguably the defensive line had the biggest question, not even the biggest question mark, but the most noteworthy happenings because at DN you've got at right DN, we're going to call have, you got Yaya starting, obviously. Then you had Ashton right behind him. And I don't know what they're doing to this dude over the off season, whether they're putting him in a lab or something, something else like that. But he, he's just blossomed into a monster. If this too deep is to believe, because he's, he went from two twelve coming to campus and he's now 253. And the other day on social media, he power cleaned, what was it, 405 as a freshman? That's you you have NFL guys barely doing that. Exactly. He's dude, he like he's a freak, right? But who is it? Bruce Feldman that does the freaks of the year every year, does the top 25 freaks in college football or whatever. Mm-hmm. Eventually, Aston is gonna be on that. Like, let's be honest, you don't clean 405 pounds as a freshman, an 18-year-old. This kid is 18 years old, Matt. I am 28 years old. I have been lifting weights. Nowhere near, or I shouldn't say nowhere near, a lot longer than he has. And I still can't do that. Like, like it's crazy. And I know I'm not, a, I'm not blessed with college football athleticism, <laughs> but like, you don't just wake up and clean freaking 405 pounds. Like that doesn't just happen. You know, like that is just a genetic freak he, right there. He, it's incredible. He is, he is blessed, no doubt. And, and finishing up on that spot, it's interesting. It's interesting to see Mason Riger right behind Gelati because I would have thought this had been a spot for Jadarian Boykin, and he's completely excluded from both defensive end spots in the two deep. And that just further – and going to the other DN spot, there's even more questions – well, not really questions, but just eyebrow-raising statements is that Ramon Perrier is the starter, according to this, and he's a walk-on. And – he has uh, Satterfield has Deparius Peterson, a six-year guy, as the backup to walk on, and then you got Zach Edwards right behind him, and there's no mention of Boykin anywhere. Now I, I don't know if that's an indictment on Boykin or if Perrier has looked that great, but I thought that was interesting. The thing about Tiberius Peterson is he's a very nice player. He's been in the program for a long time. He's been here since Bobby Petrino. He might have played for Peter Sermon, like straight up. He very well could have played for Peter Sermon. He's been here for forever. But he's never been even even like close to a fringe starter in terms of production. And I don't mean – I don't say that to, to you know, drag the guy or criticize him, but he is a backup by, by definition of his production – um, and I just I think that he yeah. the, the, the thing that I like about this this defensive line, Matt, is not last year. Peterson had to play out of necessity. Peterson was out there for, you know, 50, 60, 70 percent of the snaps when really he's probably first down guy or second down or third guy, third down guy or a special package or, or goal in, to go or something. like Exactly. That. Right. So a guy that they can use situationally versus having to start. 
Um, and I just find it interesting, one, that he came back for another season just because when you look at the defensive line, you know, he doesn't project to be a guy who's a star by any means. Um, but I, I just still find it so interesting how kind of – how he's already kind of playing himself like into in, in, into a starter again or, you know, at least a high backup when really the production has never shown he's capable of doing that. Uh, and then the other thing I wanted to point out, you pointed out Jadarian Boykin. But again, we're, we're, we've got to point out and talk about some of the guys that aren't on this depth chart. Again, I know this is not the final product here, but it's worth pointing out that Jared Dawson, who played a little bit last year as a freshman, a guy that the staff was really excited about coming out of Tennessee. He's not on the two deep, three deep depth chart. Mason Riger is as a walk on type kid. And then you've got uh, Henry Bryant, another guy who didn't play much last season, if at all. Um, he is not on the two deep. And I'm is he even on the roster. He is on the roster still. I just had to double check that because he was, he had like Miami, NC state, uh, multiple ACC offers. And I have not seen him touch the field one time yet. Right. Well, while it is, I don't even know if concerning is the right word to see, you know, guys like Boykin, Bryant, not on this too deep, but in the same breath, you have to be at least a little bit excited that the reason those guys aren't on here is because of the perceived production during the offseason by the coaching staff, which you in turn makes you think that maybe this defensive line is finally starting to generate the necessary depth that they so desperately need. Yeah. And let's, let's also not fail to mention here that there are several more players who are going to join this. I mean, they've already joined technically by definition of enrolling at U of L, but several players who are not going to be on the step chart because they were not here for the spring who were a part of that 20, uh, 21 class, including Vic tone Brown, who's one of the most you know highly sought after players that they landed RJ Sorensen, who was a more of a project same with Raheem Craig project guys, but who are long athletic speedy. Uh, and then Caleb K Banks. Caleb Banks could be Let's, someone okay, down the line. Right, Matt, you, I hear the excitement in your voice. Let's talk about Caleb Banks because he is a guy. He's not on the depth chart right now. By season end, here's a prediction. Mark this down if you're listening. You can put this in your in your pipe and smoke it. Caleb Banks will be on the field by the season, by the end of the season, Matt. This kid is too big, too strong, I was too just talented gonna say, to not be on the field. If, if the nose, if nose tackle – I don't see it happening, but if nose tackle continues to struggle the way that they did the last two seasons – I could easily see Caleb Banks being inserted into that. I know he's a DN by trade, but I mean, like most of these guys are position versatile anyways. So, but I really do think Caleb Banks, while he wasn't say the cream of the crop in the, uh, this most recent signing class, he's still really good. And he's like, you said, the dude's massive. Yeah. He, I'm trying he's, to trying He's, to pull his recruiting profile up here. And interestingly enough, I don't remember this being with, was he an offensive lineman in high school? Uh, he is listed as an offensive tackle on his profile. If you click into it, it's he's listed as a defensive lineman, but this kid is 6'6", 255 pounds. You said he's more of an edge player. I think he's probably going to end up playing inside. He's coming. Well, in that's with, that's with, what his recruiting profiles listen as, as right. an edge. So guy. he's probably bigger, right? He's probably bigger now, and, and yeah, he's probably played all over the place. He, they, the, the Louisville roster has him listed at six seven, Matt six seven two sixty five, two sixty five six seven as a freshman. I mean, if you get that man over three hundred pounds, I mean, Louisville is needed to generate pressure uh, you know, right up the middle for you know a where while I, now. You know where I see him making an impact from day one? This is silly, but think about the strategicness in this. Why the fullback? He, <laughs> the fullback, but I'm, I'm more thinking of the guy who's the filler trying to block field goals. 
Like Caleb Banks is six foot seven. I'd be interested to see what his wingspan is. This dude should be out there trying to block field goals. Like we've got that type of size out there. You remember back uh, several years ago, there was a there was a guy that came out of SMU. He got drafted by the Bengals. I think his name was like Margus Hunt. He was oh, six, yep. six foot eight, six foot nine. And he, when he was in college, one of the things he was known for was blocking field goals because of his yep. height. Like I you got a basketball that. player out there, man, six foot seven, put this guy out here to block some shots. Yeah, no, I'm familiar with Marcus Hunt. He was on the Colts for a couple of years. Yeah, that's he, he did that really well. I, and yeah, you make a good point. I could easily see Caleb Banks developing the, into someone who can do that. I mean, you know, coach, coach Saragano has got to be drooling over a guy with that type of frame, six foot seven, two sixty five. If he's not on the field by the end of the season, like next year, you, he's a guy who I think, you know, could, he's going to be a problem for years to come. As long as, you know, all the rest of the stuff is there on the field, learning, being able to handle transitioning to college football. But I'm glad that we just had a bonding moment there because <laughs> I've been extremely excited about Caleb Banks uh, since his commitment, when he decommitted, I think he decommitted from Georgia, Arizona, Tech or, Arizona, Arizona state. state. Okay. Yeah. And, and, I, and then that was a big pickup for Louisville, kind of out of left field, if I remember correctly. Um, all right. Uh, overall here, who leads the team in sacks by season end? I'm, I'm going to go with Jelotti. Okay, and let's just – we're going to keep this just defensive linemen because obviously for the last two seasons, uh, Monty Montgomery has led the team in sacks or at least been tied for the lead in sacks. Last year, no defensive lineman had more than two sacks. Jared Goldwire had two, and then you only had two other guys who technically were defensive ends or defensive tackle by position listing have one sack, Daniel Kennard and Tiberius Peterson. So not a ton of production on the defensive line last year, Matt, that needless to say. So right. you've got, you said you've got Ashton Gelati. I'm going to go Yaya Diaby. Um, I think he's the guy that is the NFL uh, potential caliber kind of guy that is on the defensive line. Now six foot four, two seventy three. He's long. He's got absolute incredible athleticism. Um, and I, one of our writers who used to write with us at the big red Louie, um, who was a, a real football junkie, used to tell me about just the way that Yaya bends and the way that he can come off of the edge without losing his power. Like it, it was NFL-esque. And it's those type of things that I think that if he can stay healthy, we're going to see this year. And and this is another reason why fans are so excited because on paper, this defensive line should be a, a ton better, right? It should be. Consid especially not only do, do they return like a bunch of guys, but they brought in a fair amount of guys, both transfer and freshmen, to give them depth. And that's another reason that, like like with the offensive line, the defensive line has also kind of struggled, not only with just the starters, but they haven't really had a bunch of guys that they could go to to give them the production the starters were. And, and not saying that these guys coming in are going to do the same thing, but you, you've got more guys to choose from who could potentially do that. All right, let me ask you one more question before we get to our final one. And this is this, hopefully, you have a little bit more than yes or no, but I'm really intrigued also of Victone Brown, another guy we talked about. Is he somebody you see being on the field in year one? I know Louisville's not had a ton of those guys on the defensive line, but you see him playing it all this year? I do. I think Louisville could experiment a little bit with some of these DNs they brought in because I know it's not the case now, but a lot of these got these DNs fit the kind of the six two two twenty type of mold. Now, obviously, some guys have kind of blossomed since then, like Gelati, but I think they're, uh, Louisville is probably going to experiment with, say, Sorensen, Gelati, uh, Brown Banks. Wow, I just completely blanked on the guy we were just talking about. Man, I need a nap. But anyways, <laughs> I, I I can see Louisville kind of experimenting with different front, th not even front sevens, front threes, like defensive lines, just to see what gives them the most production. 
because if, if the defense is going to make this elite jump that they've been wanting to, like they want to, like they've been talking about all offseason, they absolutely have to generate pressure from the line. And I think if they just stick with the same three guys all season with mixed results, they'd be doing themselves a disservice and not finding out what their most productive mix is, especially with the amount of guys they have on the roster now. Yeah, I think that this this defensive line, they can easily play nine, ten guys and, and not lose a step. That obviously wasn't the case last year. Uh, I'm really excited about the Big Tone Browns and the RJ Sorensons and, and the Des Tells and Jaquez Turner, like these guys that haven't been there um, and haven't had the opportunity to get playing time. Last year they had Robert Hicks. Um, a former four-star linebacker playing defensive end. Like we're we're at a place now much, much further than when Scott Satterfield arrived. They've got the depth. They've got everything they need. And I think that this is going to be a very, very productive group compared to last season. Uh, so that's it. That's the end of the depth chart for the defensive end and uh, the offensive uh, defensive end, the defensive line and the <laughs> offensive line. Um, Matt, encouraged for what is ahead in 2020 from these two groups, are you? I'm, I'm very encouraged. Now, could it all fall apart? Sure. But I think there's reason to be pretty optimistic considering the off, the both offensive and defensive line play. And that will do it for us. We'll be back uh, soon with more previews into the 2021 season from our opponent preview series. And we'll be talking linebacker depth chart. Save big on your Memorial Day barbecue, all in the Kroger app. Get three-pound rolls of juicy 80% lean ground beef for $3.49 a pound with a digital coupon. Then get select varieties of flavorful Powerade, Body Armor Super Drink, or Arizona tea for 77 cents each, all with your card. Shop these deals at your local Kroger today, or tap the screen now to download the Kroger app to save big today. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Prices and product availability subject to change. Restrictions apply. See site for details.